Welcome to Writing the Wrong Way. This is a podcast for serious writers who want to develop their skills in artistry and stand out in a crowded industry by taking intelligent, creative risks. I'm your host, Jonathan Ball. I hold a PhD in literature. I'm the author of uh, numerous books, and I take a very analytical approach to art making, emphasizing both efficiency and experimentation. So I'm here with Ryan Fitzpatrick. Uh, we're going to talk about the 95 Books Challenge, which is something that Ryan and I uh, co-created uh, a decade ago now, Ryan. It's actually the 10th year. We just finished the 10th year of doing it, oh, which I didn't realize until I was just looking at the numbers. Isn't that crazy? That's crazy. Um, so Ryan is the author of uh, two books of poetry, and uh, me, him and I edited an uh, anthology of poetry as well. And he's doing a postdoc at the University of Toronto. Can you just maybe say something about your postdoc that you're doing right now? Uh, what do you? Oh yeah, uh, I s- started this fall uh, postdoc at uh, at U of T, but it's U of T, the Scarborough campus, which is weirdly more interesting than doing it at the. That's one that has more of the creative writing staff at it, right? Yeah. Well, I'm not doing creative writing, but no, like, but, but it but, is where Tisdall and other people are at. Yeah, and I know you're you're a big fan of his. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a, he's a cool dude. I like that guy. Um, but yeah, it's, um, mainly like a research podcast, uh, or not podcast. This is the podcast. <laughs> uh, this is a research postdoc. Um, and so I'll be expanding stuff from my dissertation, which is all about like Canadian poetry and like space and geography, uh, thinking a bit about like what the relationship between, uh, Canadian poetics in a kind of really broad sense and indigenous poetics in Canada is, but also like um, trying to like turn, as I keep getting told, I have to do turn my diss into a book. Yeah. That's the thing that has to happen. Sure. Um, so yeah. Uh, but it, like, I'm also teaching a bit like out there. Um, yeah. You're given or in Toronto. He was me and Ryan met in Calgary and then he was in Vancouver for a while um, uh, and now he's out in Toronto. So he's, he's, uh, poetry has taken you around the world. <laughs> well, around, around the around world, the if the world is Canada. Around the world of poetry. Um, yeah. the other thing I just want to quickly mention for you, uh, listening to this podcast is if you happen to hear my, I was just telling Ryan this before we got on, but if you happen to hear like my kids shouting in the background <laughs> that, you know, I'm ignoring him because all he's doing is singing the lyrics to bingo. He's supposed to be ha- napping, but he's just shouting the lyrics to be, and uh, like the top of his lungs and I'm just hoping he's going to stop um, because he does it all the time and you know so if you think I'm ignoring my kid uh, it's like he doesn't need help he just needs to go to sleep and stop singing bingo um, so the, the fastest way to the fastest way to make that happen to talk books is, <laughs> no is is you need to take him to bingo and I understand, like, taking kids to bingo is probably illegal in Manitoba. So I'd like bingo, to yeah. officially petition the Manitoba government to let kids go to bingo again. I feel like everything's legal in Manitoba. I don't know why that is, but it seems <laughs> somehow like it would be legal. Oh, so again, we're going to talk to focus this podcast on a 95 Books Challenge, which is a reading challenge that Ryan and I co-created. The basic idea of it uh, is, you know, you challenge yourself to read 95 books in a year. Ryan and I usually do the calendar year, but you could do any, uh, you know, any any length of time. It doesn't really matter. Like if you could start, you know, February 1st and end February 1st, if you like. Um, we just happen to do calendar years. But the idea is, you know, 95 books uh, in a year. Try to read that. Um, 
there's a lot of people who do this now, more or less. If you, if you go on to social media and use check out the hashtag 95books, uh, you can like the no, numerals 95books, uh, you can find actually a surprising number of people who do this thing now. Uh, and if you go to 95books.com, it's going to take you to the show notes for this episode and just a bunch of information about uh, 95books. Um, and you know, you can download uh, an ebook I've got, which uh, called You Can Read 95 Books This Year, that just gives you some of my best tips for reading, you know, 95 books. I'm not going to get into like my tips for reading books necessarily right now, because again, you can just go download that and read if you want to read it. Uh, me and Ryan are going to kind of talk more about um, just doing it, uh, kind of how we got into it and why we do it. And then we're just going to talk books for a lot of this, like some of the best books we've read. So, because I've, again, we've been doing this for 10 years. I just did the numbers before we hopped on here, Ryan. Uh, right now, as we're recording, it's December 13th, 2018. Um, so since we started this in 2009, I've read 1,089 books, <laughs> which is crazy. Um, 1,089 books in 10 years. Uh, I actually failed one year. I did 78 books one year. Um, but every other year, I that was 2016. So again, even failing, I did 78 books. I read 78 books that year. Uh, the most I've done is 100. I've read 140 books in 2011. Um, and then the first year I did it, I read 119 books. Um, and then this year, I, so far I've read 118. I'll probably read another one or two by the time the year's done. But uh, if I don't, you know, I, I hit 118 books. How about you, Ryan? How are you doing this year? Have you made your uh, 95 books yet? Or? I've made my 95 books, which is good because, like, you, with you bragging that you, 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 I failed, I, failed, I failed one year. It's like I failed multiple years. Did you? Thank, you thanks, I didn't PhD. Think you had failed. Thanks, PhD. You would think doing a PhD would mean you would read more, but just means you <laughs> read more, but you only read parts of things. So I wasn't finishing anything. Yeah, so, sure. like, I think most of the years of my PhD, I did not finish. The years that I finished during my PhD, like, were the years that I did my my field exams. I think both of those years, like, I cleared it by a really high bar. I think one year I came really close to, like, 200 books. Yeah, you um, did. I remember, like, disgustingly. Uh, I mean, I, like, 140 is a lot, but that's almost double. Yeah. But, like, I oh, know, sorry, but last, you, you actually last, did double it one year, I remember. Yeah, last year I was in the 70s. So, but this year I'm sitting at 103. And like like you, I'll probably knock off one or two more. I'm in the middle of an Austin Clark novel, and oh, yeah. uh, like you can read a poetry book in an hour. So I'll probably read. Two well, this of those. is the other thing. I, I read a lot of poetry books, right? So like, yeah. uh, I forget. I wrote all the numbers down. And I lost them, but but I, like something like fifty of the books I read every year are poetry books because I re yeah. I have to review um, forty eight poetry books every year. Yeah. Uh, so I read at least that, if not you know more than that, and. Uh, but like you also, I, I don't read, finish reading a lot of books. I just stop reading a lot of them. That's my, I, I used to feel like compelled to finish reading a book because I was doing this yeah. challenge and I decided that was no way to live. <laughs> well, and that's, you know? and, that, and that's one of the reasons why, like, why, why I was so happy to like start, like start doing this with you is because like before I started my MA, like I wasn't finishing anything. Yeah. Like I was constantly reading like. 50 pages of a book and then putting it down and then forgetting it existed. Uh, so like it forced me to like finish things and now like I'm in this habit so much that like it's really easy to like still rack up reading a lot of finishing a lot of books but I just don't finish everything. 
And that's like two things I want to just really briefly talk about. One is just like how we got you started this. Um, so we started this, as I say, in 2009, which was when, when I was doing a PhD and Ryan was doing his master's degree. I hadn't and started my master's yet. I think, wait, I, would, okay, yes, I, think I was applying yeah, you were applying to do my master's. But and you, you were, were just finishing up. And I, So I literally had a book of, list of books I had to read. I had like 100 books on a list and I had to read all these books. Yeah. Uh, and so I didn't have to do it in a year, but I, was, I wanted to do it in like a year, basically. And so the, the thing I, around this time, I was um, despairing about all these books I had to read. I also like ran across this article that Carl Rove had written in some newspaper and it was about how George Bush had read 95 books in the previous year and like decimating or, or destroying Carl Rove in a contest that they typically did. Apparently George W. Bush and a Carl Rove would ha had like a reading challenge that they would do every year or so, or at least these last couple of years. Uh, and Bush would like just, you know, read incredible amount of books and crush Carl Rove although with some years Rove won uh, and I remember reading this and thinking again if you don't remember George W. Bush like whatever your politics are if you go back into history the public perception of George W. Bush at the time was that he was a moron which obviously is yeah, true. Yeah you remember, He's remember when George W. Bush was like that was the that was the stupidest president you could think of. <laughs> yeah. Remember when that was a, a thing? They used to have like Bush-isms and they had like calendars, with like all the dumb yeah. things Bush had said and stuff. And like, you know, with maybe one exception, anybody who becomes president is not an idiot. Like whatever you want to say about them <laughs> otherwise. You know what I mean? But I was reading this. Uh, but, you know, I was reading this and thinking like Bush is the president of the United States. <laughs> And he's reading more books than me. I'm a PhD student of literature, supposedly a writer. Uh, and so I kind of was like all bummed out about it. And, and then we, basically off that, that's how we got the number 95. Because the, yeah. like, the challenge is kind of like read more, or at least as much as George W. Bush's reads in a year. <laughs> and, you know, hopefully more than that if you're going to, you know, call yourself a writer. Um, but then like uh, the other thing you sort of mentioned is that, I mean, I think it sounds crazy to people. Um it's almost 100, which is a kind of a round number people use for challenges of this nature, but it's more than like a book a week. So it's more than 52. It's not quite 100. Um, so like it's, but it's kind of 100. Like it kind of seems, I think, on the surface of it, both crazy and manageable. But yeah. The thing, like, it, I think it basically works out to like eight books a month. Yeah. Something like that, which, you know, it's, I don't know. It's, it's not quite two books a week. But it's kind of like, I don't know what you would call it, 1.7 or something. You'd have to do yeah. the math. But like the thing that I found interesting about it is it actually was not as hard as I thought it would be. Like once you kind of make a decision, you're going to like read books <laughs> and you're going to finish them, as you say. Yeah. Um, I mean, I make a point not to finish every book I start. Uh, but at a certain point, I'll just decide, okay, am I going to finish this book or not? Uh, and like I won't finish a lot of books, but like it just has made me kind of a little, I found that just by paying a little bit of attention to what I was doing, um, just like a little bit of attention to, you know, what book I was reading, finishing a book before starting another one most of the time. Uh, and even just using like downtime to read or time when I would maybe just do something else. Like instead of yeah. playing video games on my phone, I just deleted all the video games from my phone and then I would read on the bus and like just reading on the bus, like, for you know i had like 40 minute bus ride both ways at the time um like that alone i read like 95 books not even really doing much else so and i'm not a fast reader so 
it, it does sometimes sound crazy to people like read 95 books in a year but honestly it's not that crazy it just sort of is something you have to kind of decide you're going to do or not do yeah like everything else in life uh so you failed a couple of times let me let me just like ask multiple you, times i yeah. would have to go through and i i didn't know we were then you getting... still read more than you would have read right like that's the oh thing. yeah like i tell people like it doesn't really matter like no one's gonna police you <laughs> people are always like ask for rules do you find that ryan like i find like people one they want to know um what happens if i fail and i was like yeah well, then i'll shoot you in the head <laughs> like what am i supposed, thing, we're like... supposed to say that well, when we were starting it, we had all these conversations about, oh, what are the rules? What counts? What doesn't? What and we set up book? rules. That's a big question, yeah. Yeah, we set up rules for ourselves. Yeah. But also, once once we put it out there, like, people count things that I would never count. Like, some people count, like, poetry chapbooks. And I'm just like, that's too slim. That doesn't count. You might as well count. Yeah. I might as well be able to count every article I read online then. Yeah, like, I don't count but, the picture books I read my kids. Yeah. I counted but one I, picture book this year, but that's it. I just literally, I'll, sometimes yeah. I'll just count like one picture book and I'll just let it stand for metonymically for all the picture books I read. So like but I counted um, David, at, one of the best books I read this year yeah. was a picture book, a kid's picture okay. book by David A. Robertson called When We Were Alone. Have you heard of this, Ryan? No, I haven't. So this is a, it's a kid's picture book, like I say, like for, you know, very young children, but it's about um, the residential schools taking kids. Okay. And it's like um, this uh, is, you know, elder sort of telling um, this grandkid uh, about, you know, like he kind of writes around it a little bit. It's not super direct, but, but yeah. you know, pretty plainly talking about, you know, having been in a residential school. And that's why, you know, um, they don't speak Cree and so on. It's mm. a beautiful, really fascinating little book. So I put that on my list. Um but I read like, of course, 500 other kids books. Yeah. You know, um, but I, like, that's the thing. It's like, I think it's really up to like whatever you feel comfortable with and whatever serves the goal of what you want to get out of it. Yeah. So that, if, if you want to read more poetry chat books or more kids books, like count them. Do you have a goal of like, that you want to get out of it? Cause initially I, I was just wanted to, do my reading list and without, yeah. and I want to be accountable. So we were like being accountable to each other. We had a bit of a gamble of like the winner, oh, whoever read more owed each other, the other person or got a free sushi from the other person. Yeah. Um, and then I, over time, um, uh, I think I, you still owe me some sushis at this point. Oh, probably like, guaranteed. Then like, of course I didn't have to do my po my PhD anymore. And I just kept doing yeah. it. And like my basic, reason for doing it at that point was just to kind of keep up the habit of reading um but i've had years yeah. where i've tried to direct it a bit more like okay i'm gonna read more of this or more of that but i find that every time i do that kind of thing like i don't i kind of just fall off the wagon and i just keep reading things like i, I read yeah. pretty eclectically which i don't think is a problem but i yeah. think yeah some people like want to use it and it, it would be good i think to do this want to use it as like they're going to learn about x like i know a guy who he was. He decided he was going to. Um, he just wanted to catch up on manga, all the manga he hadn't read, <laughs> and so he's, which of course is ridiculous. You know, they publish eight thousand those books every day or something. I, it's not that much, but it's like crazy amount of manga, right? Um, but it, you know, it was just one of those ways. He, he was just like he wanted to like catch up in a particular field. Um, do you find like you kind of like are goal directed around it, or do you just kind of uh, do what you want? Like you're doing kinda, a postdoc now and just yeah. came off a PhD. So I'm assuming you're a bit more directed, but. 
Oh, I'm directed. It's kind of weirdly like not directed right now because I'm yeah. trying to be a bit exploratory. Like the reason I kept doing it is because I like tracking it. Sure. It's just I like I just like it's really easy. I just keep like my notes open on my on my computer. Every time I finish a book, I uh, I just write it in. So it's just this running list of books that I finish, and I like looking back at it like periodically. Um, uh, but I will say I will say the one thing that I'm trying uh, next year, and I've already kind of already started it, is uh, I just came off finish. I came off teaching this course, like this Canadian literature course. And when I was planning it, I realized, oh shit, I like don't know any novels. <laughs> yeah, I don't because use I don't because I don't I because I work on poetry. So like all the stuff I read is either poetry or like some kind of criticism, whether it's like theory or like um, or or any kind of like critical academic text. Uh, I just don't read novels. So like one of the things that I'm going to try to do in order to like beef up any future courses that I get asked to teach is I'm going to try to read a novel a week. And that's been like, like, um, I've, I started it in the past few months and I've read, like, I finished a few things and like, it's, it's been interesting, like to kind of like deliberately read fiction in that way. So what's the best book you read this year? You got your big writing list. I I keep Uh, the one like that too. What's the best thing you read this year? Um, or is this the most interesting? Well, there's, a, there's a few things that I could pull from. Maybe, maybe um, the most the most recent that is kind of like blowing my mind. It's like close to home to you. It's this book. This is me pulling from my pile sitting on my desk here. <laughs> uh, it's this book by Owen Taves, who's like a hmm. like a geographer called Stolen City: Racial Capitalism and the Making of Winnipeg. Oh, really? That's and interesting. it's this it's this hmm. academic text, but it, like it's really. It's really approachable. So what he does in it is um, he starts – the book is kind of broken into two parts. And the first part is he tries to break down the development history of Winnipeg, starting with the treaties. Um, the treaty with um, – and like the way he frames it is like a kind of clash of development visions. And thinking about the city through the idea of a development vision is very – 20th 21st century so to apply it to like this earlier historical moment is really interesting because what you get is like the clash of the canadian government coming in and wanting to like restructure the land around um like agriculture um and then the competing with the development vision of like um of say i think the example he gives is like the anishinaabe but uh but like how they had a development vision too that is visible in the treaty making process where they're like, well, we need access to at least two thirds of this territory in order to, you know, live. Um, and the way that was kind of like uh, basically plowed under, to use a terrible metaphor, huh, but settler colonialism. So it like, it, he goes through, I'll try to keep this a bit quicker than I, than I want to. But he goes through the development history, like through like suburbanization, through kind of recent um, recent forms of like gentrification, and then the second half is really kind of focused on uh, the present, and kind of maybe of of interest to you and maybe people who are listening more than the geography stuff is one of the things he does in the back half of the book is he really interestingly picks up on uh, the way poetry. Uh, plays out in that so there's a chapter really? where he spends a lot of time talking about 
like prior uh, poetry and how, yeah. like because it's so site and geographically specific and interested. Yeah. Eh? That's interesting. Yeah, but it, but talking a lot about like he spends a lot of time talking about uh, Marvin Francis. I was gonna and, say, does he get into Marvin Francis? and Duncan Mercury? Uh, yeah, like those two specifically. But I think like so that's, Duncan Mercury, you said. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's interesting. Like, it's it's really excellent, and I picked it up because I saw it on Twitter, and like it's not a book that people are talking about. Yeah, Although I haven't heard of it. People, Is he from? Presumably, yeah. Well, I I think he's at U of A now. I think he's doing okay. a postdoc, and hmm. this was his PhD dissertation that he did, um, maybe at CUNY. So uh, so he wrote it in the states, but it's this whole thing about Winnipeg. No, that's fascinating, and it's it's really timely. Marvin Francis, just as a weird aside, it, so the yeah. book that he probably gets into is Marvin Francis's City Treaty, which is a great book. Uh, it's book which is on, is, on my list this year because I taught it twice. Yeah, so you've read it already then, I guess. I'd probably recommend it to you at some point, I'm sure, if you hadn't already heard of it. But um, Marvin Francis, I did a class with him way back in the oh, day. Really? And um, I remember like... Uh, he was one of the only people I ever met who tried to convince me not to buy his book. <laughs> he was like, just go get it from the library. I'm like, oh, no, I wouldn't mind buying it and like having a copy. And, you know, one, because I liked my books, but two, you yeah. know, support like a local writer. And he's like, ah, I'll just get it from the library. <laughs> he's like, don't, don't spend money on books. He's like, what are you doing? You're crazy. <laughs> you know, he was a great guy, Marvin. But it, uh, anyway, I say was because he, he died, you know, uh, relatively young. Um, but um, that's really interesting. What was the name of that book again? It's called uh, Stolen City, Racial Capitalism and the Making of Winnipeg. And it's by Owen Taves. Mm, that's interesting. That's, a, that's really recent. That's out of 103. That's the 101st book I read this year. Wow. The one um, I just read well, yeah. is one of the best ones I've read so far this year, which is um, The Blue Clerk by Dion Brand. Have you seen this yet? That book's great, yeah. Yeah, it's really interesting. I I've, I found it, so it, this book is like how would you describe it? Because I have having a hard time kind of just summarizing it in a sense. But to me, it's she she subtitles it in Ars Poetica in uh, fifty nine versos. Um, yeah, and a verso is just like the left hand. If you're re opening a book, there's a you know you've got a page. Page has two sides, a recto and a verso. So the recto would be the odd numbered side facing you um, when you open a book, and then the verso is the you know, if you know, on the left hand, um, you know, the sinister left hand side. Um, yeah. And so the kind of conceit of this book is that you've got the author sort of divided into two figures, you know, the author and the, the clerk, uh, this more kind of business like um, uh, figure who is collecting these, these pages that the author produces and kind of, you know, moving them around, collating them, putting them where they, might go and so on and so forth and, and the idea here being sort of somewhat that um this clerk is gathering up these verso pages these kind of unused uh, left hand uh you know pages uh, which I, I i think is some sort of play on the idea of it, them being sinister but i'm not it doesn't actually say that anywhere um, yeah in any case it's a brilliant weird strange interesting book it's, it's kind of reads like a bunch of prose poems uh, on just various subjects some of them are kind of like little mini essays on art some of them are just sort of more broad um, meditations on poetry and um, literature in general uh, a lot of it has to do with politics uh, and you know the politics of um, uh, you know power politics related to being a woman for example um, and uh, it's really like a really 
interesting uh, read in a lot of ways. And also just as an object, it's really a, a beautiful little object. It's got these two hard covers uh, front and back. And then where you would normally have a spine, uh, they just haven't produced a spine. So like the, the spine is bare with this threading. It's really beautiful. Um, but I, I was really impressed by that book. Uh, Dion Brand's always good, but that I, I thought that was one of the best ones I've read by her, actually. Um, it's it's really excellent, and um, I think if it's not on my list, it's because like I think like for me, like saying oh that Dion Brand book is excellent is like yeah. almost an obvious thing to say at this point. But like the thing the thing that I think is interesting about that book um, is that it's almost like if you take that kind of like that exchange between author and clerk as if they're kind of two sides of Dion Brand as mm -hmm. writer. So the author is the person who produces all these like polished uh, works that come out. It's almost like um, the blue clerk is like this kind of tour through the concerns of all her previous books yeah. by thinking about all the things that had to get left out. Yeah. I think it's almost explicitly that, you know, it's, I, you know, and um, I just, it's a fascinating book in that regard, especially because even though it has no, it's interesting to me because it, it, on one, it doesn't have a spine, like literally yeah. the book object doesn't have a spine, but in other ways it kind of functions like a spine across these other books of hers. So yeah. I, I think it's really, uh, I was really impressed by that book in a lot of regards. Uh, although my favorite poetry book this year was um, The Nonnets by Aaron Gio Venone. Well, that book's great too. I've read it like three times this year. It's so great. <laughs> And, and I, I can't even really describe that book. It's just a beautiful, funny, strange little book of nine-line poems uh, that he calls it's Nonnets. Re it's really sad, too, it's though, very right? Sad. Like, yeah. It's kind of really, it's a book about depression in a lot of ways. But it's like, it's formally very slight. But it's like deceptively subtle, slight. Like it's deceptive. Yeah. It's, it's, if you look very closely, like it's incredibly... Uh, well-constructed book that seems tossed off in certain respects. You know, it's yeah. very, uh, I, I, like I say, I read like two, three times this year. I read it at least twice. I want to say I read it three times, but I'd have to double check. But maybe um, like that's, it's one, it's one of these books that like I really loved and I've seen Aaron read from it that I think maybe has been ignored a bit this year because it looks so tossed off. I think you're probably right. I mean, it, it um, it certainly didn't get like the attention that I thought it might get, given how how good his first book was, uh, and how much of a jump this book is. Like it's so much better, even though I liked his first book quite a lot. Um, and as you say, like it's, I, I think it though, I could see where if you weren't paying close attention, like there's a beautiful poem in it that has um, where he imagines a scene, like somebody having coffee in the morning, and then he it moves into, Oh no, that was a commercial I saw for a coffee. Yeah. Uh, and it like that kind of structure seems very joke like, but then he kind of brings it back to like the sadness of this whole scenario and have confusing one for the other. But yeah. it's very, um, as you say, it's very subtle and it, like, it seems very light. Uh, but, it, but it, it has a, and it's got a lot of real complex, like formal, uh, play going on and word construct, you know, even just the sonic qualities of certain, lines are really um subtle and smart it's just a brilliant book but i think it's kind of a i think he's kind of in that ca category um which i know um of like being a writer's writer in a certain yeah. respect you know and i don't know if it's easy to kind of see what he's doing 
which you know it just is what it is but but i i would i wish he would get a he ought to get a bit more attention from that book i thought it was it, it was again i read like 50 books of poetry a year minimally and it was yeah. the best book of poetry i read this year other than maybe oh. the dion brand book which you know this dion brand like you say yeah. you're kind of like yeah whatever it's brilliant let's <laughs> move on with life dion brand's brilliant yeah. <laughs> anyway what else you got on your list uh, of like so your top so reads? like speaking of um speaking of maybe poetry books that like feel a little, feel a little slight but i i suspect are way deeper than they are uh i just finished a review of this uh that may or may not come out somewhere i don't know but it's this book by um adrian de leon called rouge which I only knew about because I'm working at uh, U of T Scarborough and he's like a U of T Scarborough alumni. I went to um, a launch up there like a couple months ago. Uh, and so this book is, um, it's this ec- weird eclectic book where each poem uh, centers around one of the subway stations in the, in the TTC in Toronto. Hmm. So starting, starting West with the Kipling station and then moving all the way east to uh, a station that doesn't exist yet, which is Rouge Station, which is this kind of like weird uh, composite virtual space that um, speaks to debates in Toronto right now of like, should they extend the subway into into Scarborough more? Uh, But it's this book that, um, it's this book that, like formally diverse and seems seem because of that seems a bit like workshoppy hmm. uh, it feels like oh this is something that this guy wrote in a in a workshop where he was asked to do a bunch of exercises but also hangs together in a weird way and and asks these questions about um about spaces in the city and how we narrate them and how we kind of attach stereotypes to those spaces it's so weird. I, I read a, I didn't read that book, but I read a book called um, Everyone Rides a Bus in a City of Losers that also came out uh, this year or just late last year. I want to say okay. this year by Jason Freer. And it's almost the exact same idea in Montreal. Oh, really? It's like bus stops in Montreal. And like, it's, you know, it sounds very different in terms of um, how the poems turned out. It, like, like, yeah, like his has a, kind of some other concerns. Um, he has this quote on the back about um i guess something Tyler comes to something margaret thatcher once said which is that like if you if you were still riding the bus by a certain age you were obviously a loser (laughs) (laughs) you know but um it's so weird that you know it it goes to show that like those ideas are just in the air sometimes so 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 that um is it very much a sequence like riding from this place to this place yeah and Hmm. and they're kind of it's almost like these interlaced serial poems where the poems don't have a formal consistency to them, but things he does on page three, like a formal trick he pulls on page three might pop up later on page 20. Oh, wow. Like that kind of thing. Um, yeah, no, it's, it's really, it's really interesting. And that eclecticism feels like it hurts it, but the more you, st- like it's, it's not the best book of poetry I've read this year, but maybe it's the one I've thought the most about. Sure. Which I think, which I think, also says something about it. Um, yeah, like I think, I think, like, I think it's a he's a writer to to watch out for. Hmm. Like I think whatever he does for his next book uh, will be really great. So the one I thought was kind of like that, like where it was um, parts of it were 
really brilliant in other parts i wasn't as enamored with but i found it really kind of fascinating um was this book uh called um uh, real is the word they used to contain us by this no awareness which is a uh a a pseudonym for somebody Uh, okay no no awareness uh and um oh god now you say it a lot (laughs) yeah and um anyway it's this weird weird book it, it, it's kind of has this frame it's a bunch of different disparate poems but then it's like this weird framing poem that kind of goes across it it's almost like a frame narrative and the frame narrative is about it's like a retelling of the velveteen rabbit but as if by hp lovecraft like oh. <laughs> like this nightmarish dialogue between a gun and the stuffed rabbit that was shot and like it's just a bizarre like weird nightmare of a book and it's very interesting and strange and brilliant um and yeah like and and no awareness i guess is done in novels as well which i haven't seen yet okay Um, but otherwise it's just like this weird punk figure who doesn't use his name and doesn't you know has doesn't really like to publish books like his first book is um you can get his first book from a publisher i think i forget who put it out all of a sudden this book came out of um um biblioasis but uh if I remember right, but, um, his first book, like you can either buy like a bunch of papers stapled together by him that he like just sew into a book yeah. for you, or you can, you know, buy it from a publisher. <laughs> <laughs> like he, he like reserved the right to just sell a, like a copy he made out of his van kind of thing. Uh, it's such a weird, you know, interesting, but anyway, I've never seen a book like it. It's, it's one of those things where it's like, okay. yeah, I read some books, that I thought were better um, this year, but I've, I I thought it was very good, but but I haven't actually seen a book like it, um, which is you know, Blue Clerk was like that too. Not it's in yeah. a different way, but um, at least with Nonis, you can like look at his earlier book, you know, and um, same with Petion Brand to a certain degree. Uh, this one, you know, I, I I can't really give it a like the closest thing it, to it is um, this horror author called Thomas the Gaudy, <laughs> who like. <laughs> nobody has heard of but yet is this massive weird cult figure um you know it, so anyway kind of a very kind of strange interesting thing as well uh what else did you read that you thought was really notable this year or did you ever read anything really weird like that you know maybe you didn't even know if you should count <laughs> uh <laughs> no because like i'm happy it? i'm happy counting things yeah. like if they're weird like that's not um I never know about screenplays. Like I read screenplays sometimes and I never like, I'm sure like, should I count the screenplay? Cause it is like, you know, it's like a hundred pages printed out. But then at the yeah. other hand, like I literally am printing it out from the internet. And, like it doesn't exist ever. Like in a, in a yeah. physical form really. Yeah. So I've counted, know. I've counted manuscripts before where a friend will yeah. hand me a manuscript and I'll count that. Like, I think uh, I've read like unpublished manuscripts by like not, maybe not this year. Um, but like by my friend Danielle LaFrance and I read one by Jason Christie one time and maybe there's someone else back in that decade that was somebody's handed me a manuscript and I read it and counted it but uh, I have no trouble counting that kind of stuff yeah I'll read manuscripts people give me I won't read my use my own manuscripts but (laughs) like I'll read like if I read a manuscript which I did read one this year yeah um, at least one anyway that I counted Um, but um for screenwriting i don't know why i just have this weird mental block about it but i i, well, I didn't maybe count some of them 
maybe because a manuscript you can imagine as a book, but like a screenplay you have to imagine as a movie. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I mean, once in a while they'll publish a screenplay, but for the most part, like, like I read The Witch, the screenplay to The Witch, um, yeah, which has not been published to the best of my knowledge, and so I did end up counting it. But um, I don't know. Screenplays are also horrible things to read, <laughs> so maybe that's the other reason. Uh, what else is on your big list of like uh, awesome things? Let me let me things. let me talk about something that um, that maybe is like super obvious because I feel like it was on every a ton of people's lists last year. Uh, so I've been complaining to anybody who will listen, probably like uh, an annoyingly uh, about like the way that like hype around books has like intensified with social media. Sure. So like and like I found like it's actually like ruined books for me. <laughs> Because everyone's going crazy about how great they are or how horrible yeah. they are. Yeah. Uh, so There's like no in between, right? So like Billy Ray Belcourt's book, which like uh, I'm gonna re- try to reread in the new year because I suspect it's way better than my first impression of it. Is like a book like because everybody was hyping it to high heaven. I had real trouble. Like I kind of bounced off it a little bit. Sure. Like this isn't that great. Um, when, but every time I read individual poems from it, like online, I, I go, yeah, this is actually really good. Um, so like, so like sure. I've been trying to like, I've been trying to like set books aside. But one of those books that was hyped to high heaven that maybe is one of the best books that I read this year uh, is Katerina Vermette's The Break. I got to read that book. I read her po- new poetry book, but I haven't read um, in her yeah, and earlier I, poetry book, but I haven't read I, this I, one. I, yeah, I read the new poetry book too because you sent it to me in the mail, and it's it's good. Eden Robinson but, was telling me about how good that novel was. So, like this, at that point, I'm I gotta read it. So this novel, <laughs> so I taught the course I taught at UTSC this semester was on Canlit and the City, uh, and if I had read this novel, this novel would be on the syllabus. If I had read it before I when I was planning the course, so the novel is about like this. Um, this family who, in the aftermath of um, uh, one of their daughters gets sexually assaulted, and another member of the family watches it happen, like anonymously from their kitchen wow. window. Um, so the book is the book is about this family kind of negotiating this after this like the aftermath of this. But um, what it does that kind of pushes it over the top for me is the way in every scene. Um, the the state is on the margins of things that are happening like it's ne- it doesn't play out like there's no scene where like family services comes in and takes someone but the threat of it is like constantly there oh, and i found that and i found that really like uh, as a as a novel about like the ur- the urban and like uh, like winnipeg as a kind of indigenous city but also like as policed in a certain way like i found it really I don't. I don't want to say like eye opening because that feels like, like, that feels a bit cliche to talk about. But I felt like it did like this really elegant mapping of how it how these intimacies play out against these state structures. Hmm. That and it's, that and it's just like really well written. It's like a book that like I could see all this pressure being put on it for me with this kind of hype machine, and then it it held all that weight for me. Now, let me ask you a couple questions about it because I've been interested yeah. in it, but I haven't read it yet. So one, yeah. I hear it's, I understand that it goes through, it cycles through a bunch of different narrators. Is that true? 
Yeah. Like 20 some narrators, like something ridiculous. I, I don't know if it's that many, but like it is a lot hmm. of narrators and most of them are members of this family. Right. And so do you get the, do you ever get like scenes from repeated from different perspectives in that structure? Uh, yes. Linear? Oh, you do. Okay. Then I have to read it yeah. for sure. Cause I, I'm specifically looking for those kinds of books right now. Okay, I'll, I gotta write that down. I'll do it when you're done. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I got a recording, I guess. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, that's interesting. And that was and that was part of that. Like, I decided to read more novels, so it kind of got through on it got thrown on the pile because it was a city novel. I'm trying to think what the best novel I read this year was. I was very disappointed in a couple of novels I read. Um, um, but I'm trying to think of what the best one was that I read. Probably. Um, I was really interested in uh, this book by uh, Laird Hunt uh, called okay. um, "In the House in the Dark of the Woods." Okay, and it's a strange sort of um, nightmare version of I don't know what you call it. It has this weird sort of like folktale sort of style um, blended with like a surreal. Um, kind of nightmarish, uh, you know, weird. This is like this weird game slash uh, dreamlike nightmare unfolding in this wood near where these characters live in New England, around New England, and uh, in um, uh, the Victorian age, if I recall correctly. I have to double check it, but it's um, it's just a bizarre and strange, you know, interesting okay. weird book. Um, so it had like certain weaknesses, but um, I was pretty interested in, in in how well it kind of moved through uh, a few things I don't normally like in books, like having a nameless narrator, which I don't typically like. We he actually had a narrator whose name kept changing depending on which position she occupied in the weird game structure of this nightmare, okay. this surreal kind of nightmare scenario. is really kind of interesting and strange. Um, so like on one level, it's just about, it's a, it's a book about New England witches. Uh, but another, another level is a very bizarre and surreal, almost Kafka-esque, like, you know, shifting from one sort of position to another in this weird, like, rule-bound game that people are playing, but they don't really understand. And then at the same time, it kind of becomes a strange... Um, meditation on like psychosis and mental illness oh. like it's a really is a really interesting uh hard to pin down book um that I, I i thought that was you know pretty fascinating um uh, and then yiddish for pirates i read finally which uh, okay. I, re I really enjoyed gary barwin's um you know long-awaited novel yiddish for pirates which is narrated by a 500 year old parrot and mostly takes place around the time that christopher columbus you know travels across the ocean and he, he's actually a character in the book at one point and it's really really fascinating funny uh, and very kind of dark and uh, upsetting book in many respects um really interesting uh strange kind of you know i guess the you know historiographic metafiction <laughs> about you know um these sort of marginal uh figures but uh, you know these marginal jewish uh, figures who are involved on the periphery but still involved in like the colonization um you know of you know 
North America, South America. And so, uh, which is a lot of these ideas are kind of connected to something I'm doing for research into a, like for a screenplay that I'm uh, work, supposed to be working on right now. But <laughs> the kind of well, you're talking on, to me instead. Kind of stuck <laughs> on at the moment, but yeah. Um, but like Yiddish for Pirates, I'd also kind of really recommend. It's a bit more fun than the other book, but uh, they're both kind of do some kind of interesting, fun, weird uh, things with the narrative voice. I'm really interested in books that have strange narrative voices. Okay. You know, for whatever reason. Uh, you got anything on the horizon that you really are gunning to read in the new year? Like, do you uh, have let like me, a, a pile made or anything? I've, I've got a little me, pile going. Let me turn to my pile. <laughs> Listeners yeah. can't watch me gesture to my pile that's on the shelf. If it works, uh, I'll throw the video up on it too, maybe. Uh, well, I've got like, so I've got like a pile and then I've got like stuff that I haven't bought yet that I want to read and uh, stuff that's being delivered to my house presently. Uh, so I've got this little pile. It's got some things that I've kind of put off that I'm putting off because of the, the hype cycles that I want a bit of distance. Sure. So one is um, that book, uh, Refuse, Hamlet and Ruins. Yeah, I just got that in the mail and uh, I, I, I am looking forward to checking that out. Yeah. And and I feel like I've read a bunch of it already because a bunch of it is like online. You're in that book. I told you that, eh? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so like that's that's one. Uh, and as well, on top of that, I haven't bought it yet. But uh, Gwen Banaway's book, Holy Wild, I want to check out, but I can't check it out while everybody's telling me it's great. Need to sure. Yeah. It on my own. Um, so I and then talk to people. That's my solution. Yeah. <laughs> I talk to people. I don't go on social media. I'm just sitting in my basement recording podcasts. Whoops, <laughs> ripping my earphones out. Um, what else you got there in your pile? Um, let's see what else I've got. Um, some older stuff that I want to go through. I want to reread, reread, or read for the first time. I've got a couple of Sharon Pearl Turner books. I've got some older Margaret Christakos. I kept finding when I was in Vancouver. I kept finding all these older books by Margaret Christakos that I hadn't read. And so I kept buying them and putting them on my shelf. So I actually want to read some of those. Um, I've got um, a couple books by a queer poet from the 80s, 90s, Christos, published mm-hmm. by Press Gang. Um, I just picked up this book by Jane Jacobs, Vital Little Plants, that I wanted to read a couple of years ago, but didn't because it was $40. Mm-hmm. I found it. I found it remaindered for like 13. So great news for me. Uh, I have to read, I have to go back and read uh, Shane Rhodes's catalog. So I'm writing a paper uh, and I think he appears in it. Uh, I've got a bunch of chapbooks that I picked up at the Toronto Small Press Fair that I want to go through. Um, and then I've got a list of like novels for that novel a week thing. Uh, I'm in the middle of like the first book of Austin Clark's Toronto trilogy. Uh, I want to find a copy of um, Slash by by um, Janet Armstrong. Um, I'm also writing about Croach, so I should probably reread some of Croach's fiction. Um, yeah, I've got a bunch of stuff like kind of on the on the horizon. How about you? I literally, Ryan, <laughs> it sounds weird because I've been reading 100 books a year. Yeah, or like nine five books plus a year, but I actually have. Um, I have an entire bookshelf that probably has a thousand books on it that I haven't read. So you need to either read those or throw them out? Well, I guess in theory, 
like if you look at it, if you do the math, then if I don't have another book come into my house, then I could read for 10 years and not quite finish those books. And they all look yeah. great. Like I'm dying to read these books. Um, but of course the problem is people, I keep getting books in the house. Either I'll go buy a new book because some new book comes out or I get interested in a book, you know, like this Catherine and Vermette book, maybe, um, that like, it's just an example, like a relatively new book, but you know, let's say a little bit older, uh, and I'll go find that out. Right. Or, you know, people just mail me books. Like I get all these books sent to me because I review books. And then at the same time, um, you know, I was just like reviewing books and having, I guess, signed books every once in a while, you know, so I just got, I got hundreds of books coming in the house every year. And I mean, I've got a thousand books unread in the house <laughs> and I'm only reading, I don't, I'm quote unquote only, but I, like, I'm only reading 9,500 books a year. Uh, so, you know, I, I don't, so on, on one hand, like I have like half, almost all the books I own are unread. Because I, I I won't keep every book I read. I'll get rid of most yeah. books after I read them. Um, I mean, I do keep a bunch. Like probably half the books I own I've read, and like you know I'm gonna go back to it. And also, I might reread some of those books too, right? Um, in terms of the short list of like things I'll read soon, yeah. I really want to read. Um, one of the things I read this year was the, the Grendel Omnibus. Like there's a old comic a c- character called Grendel. Okay. That I was fascinated with. Um, it's this very strange, like, comic character that kind of transits between, like, different... Um, it's kind of hard to explain, but, like, Grendel's, like, almost like an anti-hero. Like, he's not a hero at all. He's, like, this, you know, villain. Um, but he kind of is the main character of this comic series called Grendel. And, um, and what Matt Wagner is the kind of author of Grendel, what Wagner would do is he would run Grendel for a while... Then he would like kill it and then he would run it like then like the spirit of Grendel would revive in another character somehow so mm. it was like this kind of weird um, thing that transited between characters okay and, and like the actual course of the Grendel story like was produced over like 30 years and covers like in the story it covers like a thousand plus thousands of years of human history okay it goes all the way you know into like some far flung future where like you know is is a very bizarre like strange superhero kind of slash and then the other thing he would do is every um sometimes every issue but certainly every like comic trajectory would um have a totally different art style a totally different writing style like it was a very he had some every once in a while like there would just be some strange formal experiment like you'd be reading um through like a cycle and then all of a sudden like one issue would just have no words in it you know it was just and like another issue would only have words he'd have no like real art in it he would publish like a novel you know it's so it's a very bizarre kind of thing anyway they just published recently these things in omnibus versions so i just got a hold of like like this 3000 page cycle i've got like these four books and each of them is like 600 pages long I read one of them this year and um, I've got three more to read. And then there's like two more that have all those stories that he didn't write, but were done by other artists and okay. writers around Grendel. So my short, just the thing I'm immediately going to get at is Grendel. And like Vol- Volume two. Volume two. Yeah. And then like, uh, I want to get a hold of Theory by Dion Brandt, which is the other book she published 
uh, at the same time as the, yeah, it's a novel, but it came out around the same time as this Blue Clerk book. Um, I'm not sure if they have any real relation, but they have sort of similarly designed covers and they came out around the same time. And so I'm kind of, and also just, I'm interested in Dion Brands. So yeah, uh, I really want to get hold of that book. Like, I think it's more of a novel. It is a novel. Yeah. Um, so I'm curious uh, about it. I haven't read a Dion Brand book for a while. and it's like a novel for a while. So um, that's another one I like right on the, that I'm excited about. Uh, and the other one that I'm really um, interested in and looking, well, the next two I'm going to read is Experimental Film by Gemma Files, which is a weird, it's a uh, horror novel. Okay. Uh, called it's called experimental film, but it's a horror novel. Uh, Gemma Files is a you know Canadian uh, horror uh, novelist uh, that I'm you know getting interested in, uh, and then I'm going to read George Saunders's um, novel Lincoln in the Bardo, which of course uh, was uh, you know won the Man Booker Prize if I recall correctly, and, and it was much hyped. Uh, okay. I've read a lot of his. Is his first novel, but his short fiction is exceptional. Uh, this novel, I have some kind of reservations about, but uh, I, I haven't started yet. But just kind of hearing about it and going through it at a glance, kind of skimming through it, um, I'm a bit curious about how it's going to work. Uh, it has a very strange. The whole novel is basically told in dialogue sections from different ghostly figures in a graveyard um, that cycle around Lincoln's dead son. Uh, So um, it looks, you know, interesting. Uh, And I was really interested in it. It, Maybe this is perverse, but I was really, really interested in this book. And then it won like this major award. And then I became less interested in it Mm. because no, that makes sense to me. Nothing against people who win these awards or anything, but but often when you win those kinds of awards, it means that you produce something less interesting than what you were previously doing. But they mean, but formally it looks a bit wilder. So, mm. uh, I don't know. I'm kind of, I'm trying not to get like, like you were talking about the hype. I, I've let it have a year or so to like, for the hype to die down. I had just sitting there unread for a while. Yeah. And now I feel like I'm kind of, you know, my preconceived notions, I think, have kind of dulled down enough that I think I can check it out. So that's my next, um, probably what, one of the next two or three books I'll read is that for sure. Yeah. What else? Uh, you got any last minute recommendations for books or any like last minute tips uh, for people who think of uh, doing this 95 Books Challenge? Well, here, let me give you my last minute uh, recommendations without doing like the full explanation. Because like sure. uh, to prep for this, like I just made this list of like eight books that I thought like stood out in some way. Um, and we only I only did three of them. But so let me say the other Talk the other a books bit about the rest of them. Then yeah, I'll let you run on about the rest for a little bit. Uh, yeah, so I'll try to do them like quick, quick pace. No, although me explaining how I'm going to do them quick pace, that's like. <laughs> That's, that's a just a delay, right? right? Um, cuz I know people that's what people want on these podcasts. They want them to be longer, long, want slow more discussions, more empty content. Yeah. Um, 
That's I why. Think with that's the why most people... of one is mouth sounds. So I always try to drink coffee while I'm <laughs> doing the podcast. I always like ASMR, listen to it after. Man. I'm like, why ASMR. am I drinking coffee? No, it's like ASMR. That's what people are actually listening to this for. Maybe is yeah. like it's like just to we're lulling them to sleep. They're playing it right before bed, or they just get off on the mouth sound. <laughs> I don't understand that ASMR thing. It just I don't know the most annoying thing on earth to me is the stuff that they like i've tried like just out of curiosity checks on these videos and it's like it's like here's some people sorting paper clips like what no <laughs> like i don't want to see that i want to i don't i don't like amateur things <laughs> like, i'm very like i'm very you know um at a certain level i'm very much a elitist about particular things <laughs> you know i try not to be but at a certain like my gut is to like why would i watch an amateur video on the internet <laughs> like my gut is like <laughs> i don't want to why wouldn't why would i do that when i could you know pay a bunch of money to see professionals do something like so i don't really believe that but like it's like my instinct at a certain level you know <laughs> so the asmr thing is to me is like why why wouldn't i pay like uh, I'd rather like have Gilbert Gottfried's for paper clips or something. <laughs> like get somebody, get, get like a pro who makes paper clips sort them for me or whatever. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, okay. You're, so you're, here are these five books. Here are these five books. So uh, I read uh, Taxi by Helen Podrobenko, which is this like, which I, I taught this semester but had not read the whole thing. I read 20 pages of it a few years ago for a class I was TAing and I just like went, I'm going to teach this book that so to force myself to finish reading it i do that all the time and it's uh, <laughs> it's outstanding it's this book uh published in the in the 70s about this woman who drives cab in vancouver um and so like the whole book is her uh either complaining about her customers or her passengers and or mapping like how capitalism works in the wow. 1970s in vancouver uh it's it's really like just this outstanding formal experiment it's funny um political great uh and anna canna schofield like really likes it so if that's a, re a real recommendation from someone who's not me uh take that uh the second one is this book the ward uncovered the archaeology of everyday life edited by holly martell michael mcclellan tatum taylor and john loring and it's this bizarre book like color illustrations that just goes through this uh, archaeological dig in Toronto where they found this neighborhood that had basically been paved over and had been a parking lot for however many years. So it's like it's this fascinating thing where they just dig they give a history of the of the place and then just dig through like all the detritus. So there'll be an ex like there'll be a section that's just like an explanation of a cup they found and it'll like historicize this cup. Like it's it's really interesting, and it's way more interesting than I thought it would be. When I first moved to Toronto, I was looking for books that like had a bit of history to them because I picked so I picked it up because I had heard of it, heard about it. It was like way more fascinating than I thought it would be. Uh, the third one is this book by Nicole Broussard from nineteen seventy or nineteen eighty six called French Kiss or a Pang's Progress, and it's this kind of typical Nicole Broussard weirdo. Is it a book of poetry? Is it a novel? Who knows. But it's a, it's a book about this group of people who are polyamorous, 
like kind of going through the city and it plays for the whole first half it plays like a book of poetry and then at a certain point like um you get on page 85 it's like chapter one and then it turns into a novel that basically explains what had happened in the first 80 some pages um that these people were like experimenting with polyamory like and it's it's just a brilliant look at montreal actually that book is uh i'm actually on my list that I'm going to read soon, but I've got a copy. You've got the original book there. I can see, but yeah, uh, I've got a book that coach house republished her first three books, including that yeah. one called as the blue books. Cause the, all yeah. the originals uh, have like just these plain blue covers. Uh, so I'm going to check out. So if you can't find that, uh, the blue books by coach house uh, actually is that book, and two other books um, by her um, all just republished in one volume. Yeah, that's great. Just like get that. Um, so the fourth one is uh, the new Aaron Moray called uh, Sitting Shiva on Minto Avenue by, to- by Toots. And it's like, it's a memoir. And like, who, who would have thought that Aaron Moray should have been writing memoir this whole time? Because uh, it's just this outstanding uh, book about her ex-husband who ended up living in like an SRO in Vancouver. So it's this kind of like book about it's about him, but it's also a book about memory and it's about the way the cities, ch- cities change. And, um, it's just really beautiful. And it's like, like it's, it's like, she does this thing throughout her career where like, she just like one eighties, everything and like change and rearticulates how you're supposed to look at her entire oeuvre. And I think this book is like that book again. Like it's mm. it's Ocitadan, it's Empire York Street, it's Furious. Like, like this book rearticulates how you're supposed to look at her poetry, even though it's not a poetry book. Um, and then the last one is just this really great book of uh, of lyricy poems by Ali Warren, who's a, a Bay Bay Area poet called uh, I Love It Though. I thought I would just read like rather than explain. I love why it though. I is the it. title? I love it though. Oh, yeah. Okay. I thought I would just like read a little bit from one of these poems. Cause that's one thing we're not doing is like reading from these, these yeah, uh, good stuff. Cause sometimes a book is good and you don't know why. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'll just read the first stanza from this opening poem called a yielding hole for light. Where were you in the West Antarctic ice sheet began to collapse on the way to Iowa city to see my first sumac and coming to know its name and asking it's the way of coming to know as if revelation instead of simple clarity. I tell BB what I want around me are the ripe and tender ones, wine the color of weather, the lush bearing of our longing, going on in my way, stupidly sincere, one foot in the office, the other lolling about in the field. Do you prefer the gravel to the scrub grass? I prefer the ear to the throat, calling choice what's ancient, trained to chew on the cork like it was mine to do with. It's just this nice play of like... Um, like like sincerity and jokiness and like it's got hints of like as i read it i was like hints of jeff dirksen like in the way it like will take a song lyric and bend it out of shape a little bit into something else and just Hmm. there's really great there's really great like there's really great book of lyric poetry that's like um but like lyric-y like not like straightforward oh that's fascinating yeah well, thanks so much, Ryan. Uh, it's uh, 
good to talk to you and uh, nice yeah. to hear about your books. And uh, again, to you listening, um, go to 95books.com. You'll get uh, inf- all the inf- show notes from this. So all the books where I mentioned, I'll just you know put in a list there and kind of link out. Um, but if you go to 95books.com, that's always where I just have, I, I just redirect it to different places that I think have the most amount of information about mm-hmm. 95 books. Um, and uh, uh, if you want to, you know, read 95 books this year go right ahead uh, i'd encourage it if you're on social media you can use the hashtag 95 books and uh kind of connect with other people who are doing it um me and ryan are going to do it again and uh otherwise uh yeah have a great uh week you know keep writing the wrong way how what do you got uh, as a final tip for people who want to read 95 books ryan um john likes to say uh don't don't do the math I like to say, if you're doing it for the first time, you should do the math. You figure out like you figure out what a pace, a good pace is, because I found that really helpful the first year that I did it. I don't do it now because it's a habit, but like figuring out that like, oh, I should read two books a week, like is like some kind of weird, yeah. like habit building math to it. Uh, all my tips, like I say, are if you can just go to 95books.com and just download an ebook with all my tips. So I'm not going to get into them. But my number one tip is just carry the book in your hand. Read one book at a time and carry the book in your hand. Mm. Um, it's shockingly simple to do. And you'll be surprised you know, how much time you reclaim from like just less fun and interesting things. Just because you <laughs> literally have a book in your hand. And you're like, oh, I could do X, but oh, I've got this book in my hand. <laughs> I'll just do that instead. And instead of, you know, whining and moaning while your bus is late, you just look at your book that's in your hand. Or, you know, you know it's it, it shockingly um, simple and really produces, like, results. That's why I didn't have to, like, do the math, because I just would carry a book in my hand, and then I just, you know, without even trying, I would read 95 books <laughs> like it sounds dumb and simple but and it's you know can be a little bit more complicated than that depending on your circumstance and what your life is like but uh really that's you know a, a big big thing um well thanks again ryan and uh good to talk to you we'll talk to you yeah. later uh you can hook up with ryan online uh google nine you know hashtag 95 books you'll find them but otherwise you're are you rcf mod everywhere now uh so by the way it's a horrible handle well, and it's just my it's just my email. Uh, so on on Twitter, I'm at Ryan Fitzpublic, and Instagram is the same thing. Uh, I've got a website now. It's just ryanfitzpatrick.ca. Oh yeah, she got a website. Yeah, well, yeah, I made one. It sucks. Ryanfitzpatrick.ca. Yeah, because ryanfitzpatrick.com is unavailable. I don't know if you player. know, but yeah. there's a famous football player that has my name. So if you Google my name, you will not find me. <laughs> Well, there you go, ryanfitzpatrick.ca and uh, everywhere online. Ryan Fitzpublic is the man. Um, right, well, thanks. Talk to you later, Ryan. Yeah, you bet. Uh, my thing's going to explode on here, so I'm going to hang up on you. <laughs> it's like a five, it's like warning me your Mac won't, will sleep soon because I, I guess I blew a fuse. Oh, uh, so you have no battery. And so I'm left. plugged into like a place that's not drawing me any power. Oh, okay. <laughs> so I'm going to let you go. But uh, talk to you later and. Uh, Have a good week, everyone. Yeah, that was fun.